right, uh, welcome to Colcast. We are here with our beloved guest, Rasta Mouse. Rasta Mouse, say hello to everyone. Uh, hello, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Right, uh, the, Thanks for having you're me. You're the first person I did that. I, I like to keep it like, I don't know, spontaneous in the intro. So <laughs> I just I'm, I'm like Trey Awkward. <laughs> Oh, you're cool, man. So let me ask you, how how has the pandemic been treating you too? Let's start there, because that's kind of like the obvious thing. How you been dealing with that? Yeah, well, for me personally, I've since I started my um, started my own business, I've been working from home anyway. So uh, personally, it's not too bad. I think the most difficult thing is how it's impacting the rest of the family and and how that's kind of cascading through our our daily lives. You know, my uh one of my kids she's like three years old she's you know she's missing her little nursery friends and you know all that stuff and i'm just kind of like can you all go away now and go back to nursery and can the wife go back to work or you know (laughs) (laughs) hey 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 hey. this is uh this is on air i'm I'm just used to i'm just i'm just used to having the house by myself and now there's just all this ruckus and it's and, part, right. yeah, and, then that, and that, that, that's first world problems, really, I guess. Yeah. Apart from that, right. we're absolutely fine. And like, we don't have yeah. it. Like, I'm not, I haven't got COVID, so that's to be, I'm grateful for that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned that, um, you know, you, um, you have your own business. Let's start there. What, uh, what business uh, do you have, I guess? You know, what, what kind of work do you do if you're okay with sharing that? Yeah, well, I mean, probably it all started when um, when Rastalabs became a thing, and there's a whole there's a whole backstory about how that came about. But oh, um... we're gonna get there. I love, <laughs> I love origin stories, so I ask everybody their origin story. Yeah, uh, so I mean, the business was originally started just so I could um, get money from Rastalabs, right? Um, for just like tax reasons. Um, and then it kind of grew from there. So now, uh, the business has become like, well, I'm a, now a training provider. So, um, I've got the, um, the zero point security, uh, red team ops course, which is pretty much the only course that we offer right now. That's only, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but it's not, it's, that's only been around since January. So, um, that's still so quite me- new. So. Let me dig in a little bit. So you you said zero point security. Um, so is zero point security your company that you started? Yeah. So um, okay. basically, when we I started selling Rastlabs through Hack the Box, um, I needed some way to collect the income from that. You can't just have it drop into your personal bank account. That's apparently not cool. So I um, I started a business. So I could earn money through this business and it was the, the zero point security was just a business name. Um, and it did nothing other than effectively sell Rasta labs. Um, and, and then Rasta labs was doing okay. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe, um, maybe we could do a little bit more, you know, more, maybe I could look at quitting my full-time job and making my own business, my full-time job. Um, so I, th- I thought, how, how how are we going to build off Rasta Labs? Rasta Labs is just a, like a CTF lab, right? So a lot of questions I used to get was, well, if I buy Rasta Labs, do I get 
like training material do I get any type of guidance to which the answer is no because that's not the product that it is or was meant to be so I thought well maybe if there's an appetite for um for that kind of thing maybe maybe I could build a business more around um online training and um <clears throat> the reason I made it online training is because I thought well I don't really want to I don't really want to compete with people going to you know getting my trainings into like black hat or um any of the security conferences but there are other reasons as well like people you say oh well, I can't afford to travel to black hat I can't do this blah blah you know whatever um online delivery medium is a lot cheaper to deliver and therefore you can offer it at a cheaper price so um that that basically became something that I oh, okay well I'll try and do that I'll try and develop a um a training course that would you know um try and teach kind of like the similar stuff that everybody else was teaching but I'll offer it for 400 pounds instead of 4000 pounds and <clears throat> hopefully there'll be a market for that now let me ask you this is um is that training course meant to be a complement to Rasta Lab? Um, <clears throat> not really. I mean, I don't, I don't see it that way. Um, a, lot, a lot of people kind of ask me, well, do I do the training first or do I do Rasta Labs first? And I just kind of like, well, I, I, I just, even though I wrote them both, I don't really see them as like complementary okay. things, really. I mean, uh, part of the reason for that is, is was the original intention for what Rast Labs was supposed to be, which is not what it is now. Um, so, what was the original intention? Well, so when I started getting into kind of like the or the, the the red teamy side, I, I I wanted to sort of like teach myself how do I attack Active Directory, how do I attack Windows. Uh, well, the one one of the things I I did, and what a lot of people would do is okay, well I need to build my own lab you know to to learn and practice in um and i kind of thought well if i need to do that to learn then other people need to do that so i thought why don't i just offer if i could build a lab that people could share and practice in <clears throat> excuse me maybe maybe that would be a maybe that would be a thing uh and you know windows licenses being what they are you can't just you can't really afford just a hey i'm just going to offer a windows lab um so rust labs was initially a kickstarter uh to you know to 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 to, to raise those funds and rust labs was supposed to be just a big shared playground lab um and it changed when it went to to hack the box because they have this whole gamified experience around you know that they, they you know they have flags and leaderboards and stuff so when Rust Labs went to hack the box it became less of a playground and and more of a okay well now we need kind of like uh, some structured attack paths to go through so they could collect flags with little side challenges and everything else um so that was kind of that that and that's what Rust Labs has become it's just a lab where you follow a certain attack path and you collect flags and and that's kind of it really and then so when people ask me well 
which one do I do first? Do I do your training course first or do I do rest labs first? Or I'm kind of like, well, the training course will teach you some things that would be helpful for beating rest labs, but it doesn't, maybe it's like 30%. Um, and the course is supposed to be um, a beginner's course and rest labs is a pro lab, right? So you've got um, a product for beginners and then a product effectively for professionals or you know for people who have a lot of experience and that's quite a a large like skill and experience gap to kind of golf so i'm like well okay well if you know nothing you probably don't want to start with rest labs that's really hard um if you don't know anything then yeah you probably want to start with the with the course but if you don't know anything and you do the course you're not then just going to be able to magically span this massive gulf to be able to do rest labs right you see what i mean so maybe there needs to be something in the middle or maybe I just say, I'm just not interested in answering that question or I don't know, but it's difficult yeah. to answer the question completely without explaining all of that. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's why I'm glad you came on to, to help clear that up too. Uh, Cause you know, in, and I just must say too, your, your, um, your package with uh, uh, Rasta labs and stuff and uh, with, um, your uh course uh red is red team's ops red team ops red right? team ops yeah yeah <clears throat> it's very pretty too like the the design and all that stuff and the zero point security logo and all that stuff that your marketing is you know looks really pretty and stuff and i had a whole bunch of questions and stuff when it came out about like oh you know how do i get into this what it's all about so yeah it's really helpful that you can kind of explain it like that um before we get too deep into the course and i want to revisit this um back on you though how did you get into hacking like, like let's start there like when you were young and stuff like how did you get into this industry um wow well i mean some of it i can talk about some of it i can't um so, oh you're one of those <laughs> well, <laughs> unfortunately yeah i mean when i was a kid i wasn't really um i wasn't really into computers as a kid I can't really remember how old I was when, I, when we got our first family computer. I was maybe very young teens, perhaps. Um, and kind of all I really did on the computer was maybe what most people did, and that was play solitaire. <laughs> but I was never really, um, I was never really into it from like a hacking perspective. It, the computers just became um, just a thing that you use to get information. Like, I, I don't know, I need some, like, cheats for some PlayStation game I was playing, so I'd go on the internet and find some cheats or whatever. Um, and when I... So at college, I, I was into physics and astronomy, and when I left college, I got a job with Cardiff University on um, basically a, an, an education project that did education outreach. So the... Um, the goal of the project was to inspire more kids to take um, the kind of like the sciences and the maths and the engineering classes like later on in college and university because there was like a decline in the country and that and that's what I was doing which is obviously completely unrelated um, and then funding funding went away which is you know in in the UK anyway most university things are excuse me funded like externally or by grants so it's really easy for that money to go away which it 
it did after only a couple of years. And then I found myself, you know, looking for something else. I'd basically left college with like C's and D's uh, qualifications. I'm not sure what wow. the, the equivalent of that would be for you. Um, but it's, it's, basically just, it's basically just like average. I had average, average grades. I was basically two years out of college. I was like 19, 20 and I just like lost my first job. So I was basically handed on a plate. I was like, well, <laughs> geez, what, what, what am I going to do now, right? What was your first job? Oh, well, that, well, I mean, that was it. That astronomy oh, average job. Was, yeah, well, that was my first job. Oh. Oh, I knew someone um, who, got, who basically got it for me. I didn't have to like interview for it or anything. So that was, that was, a, that was a gift. So like, yeah, like I said, I was like 19, 20, yeah, 19, 20 years old. Um, suddenly I need to do the grown up thing and actually go and interview for jobs. Um, and I ended up, and this is kind of where the bits that I can't talk about come in. I ended up working for the uh, UK foreign office. I got an apprenticeship. Um, doing engineering, um, somehow, I don't know how, but I landed, <laughs> I, I landed this apprenticeship, um, and the original job was um, around physical security. So being with the uh, being with the foreign office, what what we used to do is we obviously used to go to you know embassies and consulates overseas, you know like the UK embassies and consulates, and deal with the physical security of those buildings. So maybe like putting like alarms in or locks or doors or saves or whatever it was. And that was kind of my first real taste of what security was like, but that was obviously physical security. Um, and then I kind of moved around a bit in the foreign office for quite a while. So I'm going to, um, I'm actually going to have to, Google something real quick. So I want to say a name, but I'm not sure if it's public knowledge. Okay. And while you're Googling that, it's interesting. I find that interesting because I don't really see you talking about physical security that much. Um, just in what I've seen from you. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I just think because it was such a small part of, um, kind of like what my career is turned out to be. So that, I mean, that, that's, I started that back in 2008 and I was only doing the physical stuff for maybe two years. And then it was all like the digital stuff after that. Um, so I got, a, I got a job with this, um, within the foreign office with this other kind of like branch, I guess. And they're called a UK NACE. Um, and that is the UK National Authority for County Eavesdropping. Right, and that sounds really cool. And to be fair, it is quite cool. So um, one of their jobs is to do sort of like physical and technical inspections of buildings, both in the UK and overseas, to make sure that, you know, they're not being too obviously spied on by sort of like foreign intelligence or whatever else. Um, wow. So I did that for a little while. And then... Uh, another part of the business, they started building this um, this kind of like this cloud thing. The cloud wasn't really a wasn't too much of a thing sort of like back then. But you have 
um, different branches of the UK government, such as the Home Office or the Cabinet Office, um, visas for UK and things like that. And they wanted, you know, they need websites, right? Because that's the way things were going, are still going. And so the Foreign Office wanted to, they wanted to sell those kind of hosting services to other parts of the government. Uh, because, you know, they, they could say, well, okay, you're, you're processing, like, you know, passport applications and visa applications. You probably don't want to do that in this new thing called AWS or whatever, because, you know, when, when all of those started, started out, nobody knew anything about cloud security or anything like that. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, so the Foreign Office wanted to, offer that as a service like hey you want to you want to have a website that does this well we'll build it securely for you and we'll give you some sort of stamp of approval that it's at the level that you want and need it to be and so i got a job designing those first i was doing security architecture so designing how those things how those systems would look and you know how they would be built and whatever else in the cloud yeah in the cloud well it was kind of like our own hosted cloud so we had our own on-prem data centers and whatever else okay. to, you know, do all that. So it was, yeah, it was sort of like our private cloud. And then I went from, well, it's very interesting to kind of design and build this, but in needs testing, right? And that, mm-hmm. and then that, that was how I finally, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after so like long. five years later, that's how I started to get into uh, penetration testing. <clears throat> So originally it was on. It was so originally it was on those cloud platforms, and then I got interested in some of the services we were offering. Was kind of like they started to branch out a little bit. So it wasn't just websites. It was kind of like a our own hosted Office three six five solutions and lots of other different solutions like that. And I remember one tenant that we had that was a window. Most of them were like Ubuntu or whatever else. But we had like maybe I think maybe our first Windows tenant. I can't remember what it did, but that was like my first taste of really getting into Windows and Active Directory. And I, and that for me had been like way more interesting than anything I'd done up to that point. And that's kind of why I've, you know, stuck with, stuck with that avenue ever since really. Is that, is that your preferred, um, uh, like type of hacking? Is that Active Directory, like network type of hacking? That was one of my questions. <clears throat> I think my favorite type of hacking is basically just taking a system and abusing its functionality. I don't think it's um, my preference is not specific to Windows. It's just there are just lots of different ways to abuse Windows, you know, internal Windows internals to do to do bad things, and I find that inherently more sneaky than I don't know different different types of pen testing I guess mm. I don't know I, I, mean, I don't really know I mean it's just it's just something about it that I just like it just tickles me I guess <laughs> I don't so know. just so, so just taking so if someone were to give you just like a, a system in a wrapped up in a bow and they said you know just attack the system and you would want it to have like windows uh, base operating system and you would just like to go or, or do you like like a more of a domain 
kind of like a Rasta lab, you know, like that style hacking. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the domain stuff is okay. just it's just become more interesting to me. Um, yeah. I I just think when when you start learning about sort of like just this this magical thing called Kerberos, and it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. This 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 thing is just incredible, and I I've not even scratched the surface of it. I don't even pretend to understand it properly. But hey, look at all this cool stuff you can do with it. <laughs> right, and it's funny, man. Like I'm I'm that's actually kind of my um, interest too. Is that Kerberos? And I noticed like Hack the Box was starting to get a lot more domain uh, like Windows systems because at first it was just be like a Windows box, you know. And but now it's like a you got to use like Bloodhound on it and you know yeah, do a whole bunch yeah. of it. I'm like this is this one system is an entire lab you know like so um, I start yep. seeing yeah yeah I was just gonna say like one of the, obviously one of the one of the clever things Hack the Box does is they take um, community submissions right for their their mm. boxes so it's in a way it's quite easy for them to follow the trend of what's popular because it's their customers that. are submitting those boxes and and yeah it's just it's it's really interesting to see uh how that has changed um i mean i obviously don't want to speak for hack the box i'm sure in the beginning that they mostly had linux submissions because it was super easy for anybody to download a you know a, a linux distro and customize it to be vulnerable and then just serve it up uh, but as these kind of like it's I don't want to call it um, like a buzzword or anything, but it, I mean, it kind of is like this, the red team buzzword is mm -hmm. the last couple of years has especially just become so prevalent that people are just so hungry for those types of uh, challenges now. And it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Yeah. It's, it's great to see people um, building new challenges and submitting new challenges and exploring, you know, different ways to, exploit things and you know all, all, all that good stuff yeah and i want to give a quick shout out to my friend uh vb scrub i'm always using this platform to shout out people <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i actually think you would really like my friend vb scrub he's making um, he i don't know where he popped up at it but he's all over the hack to box forums like if you go in there you'll see his little green logo um he's making great content on youtube um, and I think you guys would really get along because he because he specializes in Windows stuff, um, and he he made like a uh, Windows GUI based reverse shell something like just <laughs> ah, you know who who does that? So um, I actually think y'all would get along. And he actually made a, a hack the box submission too. I forget the name of his box. Poor me. Um, I'm, I almost want to say it was Sana or something, but I don't think it was Sana. He actually helped with Sana. Um, and it wasn't forced it was some one of them anyways i think you would get along with him really well um back to the questions though um so how did you end up getting getting the name like rasta mouse when did rasta mouse start coming in and is that a cartoon or is that something it, you made no it's definitely a cartoon if okay, you haven't okay. if you haven't seen it get get onto youtube and just search for it it's fairly outrageous um <laughs> The reason why it came about is probably not as, I don't know, spectacular as maybe you'd think. I was sat on my sofa one day when I, when I discovered this thing called Twitter. Oh. 
I was like, just looking at some of the stuff on it and started to, um, you know, ex- maybe explore people who were sort of like posting the stuff that I was interested in. I was just, I was like, it, it, it came quite obvious quite early on that you don't have like your name <laughs> as your handle. Okay. You need, oh. you need something, you need something cool. Okay. And it has to be, you know, Neo, but not Neo, obviously. So I was racking my brain for ages. Like, what can I, what can I have? What can I be? You know, I can be anyone. It's, and this thing was just on the TV in the background. Um, and some of the di- it was either some of the dialogue or some of the music just caught my attention. I was like, what, what, what is I just, what is this? And I sort of just started watching it. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is, <laughs> what this is this is amazing um, <laughs> and that and that's it i was like you know what i'll just i'll just have rasta mouse because look it's a skate skateboarding mouse that eats cheese and solves crime and plays the guitar really you know it's funny i had no i i actually tried to look it up you know and i really couldn't find much about it maybe well, I i'll tell you what I, I know i know that people can't see this but you can obviously see this i'm i'm gonna i'm holding up a Rastamouse beanie to my camera. Okay, so this is this is Rastamouse. You know, I can see can't see you. I probably oh. can't. <laughs> so I can just Are you trying to show your video? Am I not showing my video? Yeah, you're not. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were being shy. Oh, no, it says turn camera on. No, hang on. The uh, button says turn on camera. It pops yeah, up for me. Like... Oh, uh, do I need to hit the share button? Yeah, oh, oh there you are. <laughs> Man, I feel like we have to start this whole thing again. Ah, that's funny. No, it's we're, fine. It's fine. We're, we're going to lose the next, the last half an hour. Okay, now I'm holding it up. Right, now you can see that. Wow, okay. So you actually have a doll. That's crazy, I, I, man. I do. That was a gift from somebody who I used to work with. So there you go. That's Rastamay. And it, it, go and watch it on YouTube. At least okay. like one or two episodes. You'll be amazed. Okay. And your and your yeah. listeners too, obviously. Your listeners, if you haven't seen an episode of Rastamouse, go and watch Rastamouse. Okay. That's, and that's then no over. and then no I'm nothing like it at all. Because <laughs> I don't look like, <laughs> I don't look like this. Yeah, well now that I can see you, it's kinda of like <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm looking for the Rasta and like oh, yeah. <laughs> well it's quite funny when I meet people in real life and um you might know them, you know, in passing on Twitter. I remember the first time I met, you know, like Steve Brosh and you know, Will Schroeder and um, Andy Robbins, you kind of, you, you know them just from like their username, right? And, and their mm-hmm. like, little app and their little avatar. It's like, well, it's great to actually put a, you know, face the name type of thing. But kind of like every time I get it with someone, I'll like introduce, oh, hi, I'm, I'm so-and-so, I'm, I'm whatever on Twitter. I'll go, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm Rastamax on Twitter or whatever. And I'll go, wait a minute. The Rastamouse. Oh, well, no, not, not the Rastamouse because I'm not a skateboarding mouse, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, that Rastamouse. And it's always, it's always so, so cool. So really. was that like an adjustment for you? So, like, um, so that's how you pick the name. And then, you know, like, when did people start, I guess, you know, finding out who you are and all that stuff? Like, how do you feel like people start to know you in the community? And we got, oh. yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really know. I, I, I'm not sure if there was ever like a defining moment of something that I did or published that 
um, you know, was the turning point. I think that I've just, I mean, I'm not sure how long I've been doing it now, a good number of years. I, I just think you you just build build up this following just slowly over time. I think, you know, maybe other people who do this kind of work, maybe they, maybe, you know, like you're, you're a YouTuber and you, and you like to just publish videos on a subject that you're interested in. In the first couple of days you get like, or, you know, first couple of weeks or months you get no views and then mm. you might start getting a couple of views and you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to make it. Um, <laughs> and then sometimes people get lucky and they get, you know, one of their videos will get picked up by like the YouTube algorithm and they'll get, you know, like a 1000% spike over their usual viewership. And then that becomes a turning point for them. But I don't really know. For me, I think it's just something that's been over time. Uh, def definitely the popularity of Rast Labs has helped. Um, and, you know, I get it occasionally where people say either, you know, Rast Labs is great and I really, I really love your stuff or this particular blog post is really good. It really helped me out. I think usually if you um if you if you publish something that like somebody finds and they like that kind of they then they go and explore maybe everything else that you've done or other stuff that you've done and if it's kind of like along the same lines of the stuff that they're interested in then they'll stick around. I think I've been around on Twitter for a long time. I think just by pure fluke I'm just people are just stumbling across oh, this, <laughs> this this complete fool is publishing stuff that I quite like somehow. So, I, mean, I, I don't know. And I remember the first time that I met somebody in person, they were like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, that, that, that reaction. I think mm -hmm. it maybe was a, um, I don't think it was a black hat. I think maybe it was a smaller thing like, like B-sides or something in London. Um, and they had that, that kind of reaction. I was like, I was so taken aback by it at first because, they were so like, oh my God, you're so awesome. And I love your stuff. <laughs> I was like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> like, um, I mean, that's cool, but I'm not awesome. I, I, I don't know. And I think everybody gets that, that kind of, that, you know. You're awesome, that, man. That, you're yeah, awesome. That, that imposter, imposter kind of like syndrome. That you've got this person in front of you saying, oh man, you're really awesome. I wish I was as good as you. I'm like, oh, mate. <laughs> no. It's, it's, it sounds like something I would do because that's exactly what I did when I met James Kettle. <laughs> yes. I, met James, I met James Kettle at Black Hat or uh, Def Con. I was like, James, what's up, man? Like, take a picture with me. He was like, uh, who are you? You know, and it's funny because I have a picture on my website. And he's just like not trying to take a picture with me. <laughs> he's just all. like stood off to the side. I'm like, oh, that's, that's that funny. is exactly what he's doing. Like, you look at that picture, he's like, get away. But I was so like starstruck or whatever. And now I get to do that for a living with people like you <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> on this uh, podcast. I'm doing that every single podcast. I mean, it was interesting uh, for me because, I mean, kind of like after the fact, I thought to myself, oh, that was a bit, that was a bit strange. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a bit of a, not really a, a really, I'm a bit socially awkward anyway. Um, so to have that kind of reaction from somebody else, I kind of like went away from it. I was like, oh, that was, that was really quite strange. I wonder, and it kind of made me reflect a little bit. Like, I know I've met some of my like quote unquote heroes. Was I 
did I do that? Yeah. Um, so I've kind of also tried to um, kind of like use that as a point of reflection and kind of step back and think about how I'm, you know, addressing other people. I, I would hate for them. To, I mean, it's really exciting to meet some people, but I'd hate for them to, I'd hate to make somebody else feel awkward just because I was basically kissing their shoes. Okay, so Rasamas, can you tell me how you got involved in Hack the Box? Like, how did you, how did you first start with them, and like, how did they notice you, and how did you all like meet? And then you can talk about like how you got Rasta Labs. Uh, well, that was down to one of those sort of pivotal, pivot. What was it? What's the word? Pivotal life chances. Um, so I know I knew James Hooker, the CTO from way back when we used to be involved in Vulnhub. Um, and I was at B-Sides London, I think. Um, and we just, we bumped into each other. Um, I think maybe after one of the talks and we just got chatting, you know, hey, what are you, what, what are you doing now? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm working for this, um, this company called Hack the Box. He told me a little bit about it. Yeah. And that was, I think they were less than a year old at that point. So I hadn't, I'd never heard of Hack the Box. Um, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I said, well, I've got, I've got this. I'm, I'm still working at wherever I was working at the time, probably still the foreign office. Or um, maybe I'd moved to the, uh, into the finance industry by then, I can't remember. But I said, oh, yeah, I'm working at whatever, but I've got this idea, this project I want to get off the ground. And I told him a little bit about it, and he's like, "That yeah, that sounds interesting. You know, good luck with it." We sort of parted ways and enjoy the rest of the conference. Yeah, okay, see you later. And then um, maybe a couple of days or a couple of weeks later, I got an email from James. He said, "Hey, I've been talking to um, you know the team or whatever. We're um, would you be interested in some sort of?" partnership to help get your project off the ground and, and I was like well yeah okay and that's and then <laughs> and that, that's how that happened I mean like I said I'd, I never heard of Hack the Box prior to that and it was only because I bumped into James at this conference that we got talking and the opportunity came along so and yeah I just took it I was like yeah that's great let's let's let's, let's work on it and the rest is history as they say so so tell us who james is because uh, I, I haven't heard of james is that the ceo or uh, the i think he's ct he's, i think he's the cto the chief technology officer um he's uh he's for hack the box yeah i mean he's, he's basically just a viking with a massive orange beard if you've never seen him he's <laughs> on twitter as um goblin i think okay and yeah i mean he was oh that's goblin yeah yeah so he yes see his handle yeah yeah so <clears> and and uh we were, we were both doing the same thing for a long time. We were um, solving Vulnhub challenges and just we had a, we both had blogs where we were just publishing our write-ups. Um, so that, I mean, I knew him. That's how I knew him. And it was just, yeah, this, just this chance meeting. So you just so happened to bump into the, C, the founder, the CTO of Hack the, at Hack the Box and you've just form a relationship just off of one conversation. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and then I met, I met the. That's um, crazy. I've been down to London. I met the um, the CEO. I met Harris, and I've met a bunch of 
yeah, they've, got, they've actually got quite a big team. I mean, originally it was just Harris, I think, and then um, I'm not sure how James got involved, but I think it was just Harris, and then it was James and Harris, and then now they've got this massive team. And I've yeah, I've been down, I've met a lot of them, and they're really, uh, they're really cool people. Okay, and so <clears throat> you briefly mentioned before, um, you know, Hack the Box, you were doing Vuln Hub stuff, which is dear to my heart, very, very dear to my heart, because Vuln Hub was, you know, like the one of the first, um, you know, websites that I was, you know, going on to get boxes to pwn or whatever, so it's very dear. Um, how did you, you know, what kind of work were you doing on Vuln Hub? And, fun fact, I noticed that you got about five different shout-outs on Vuln Hub there. You probably don't even know that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, in doing my podcast homework, I was like, you know, Rasta Mouse, Phone Hub. And there was like five different cases where people gave shout outs to you on there. So talk about a little bit of your involvement with uh, Phone Hub. Like, what do you do on there? And what have you? Oh, know, well, I mean, what have you? Done? Yeah, I mean, nothing anymore. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really worked on any other stuff for a long time. Um, I mean, I, I can't I can't remember at all where I discovered what Vulnhub was, but I mean, at some point, um, you know, after I got interested in this penetration testing thing, I was obviously looking for resources. At some point I came across Vulnhub and um, I just I just started off just uh, by just trying to solve the challenges like everybody else. I was just, uh, yeah, just this, this regular guy just trying to learn. Um, and then I met, I met Ben, uh, got milk and I met Null Mode, um, also down at B Sides London. I think there's something about B Sides London where it's just like this hub of my life where things happen. Um, but yeah, I, I met them and I chatted with them for a while, and um, that led to, I guess, more stuff where I'd, I'd start doing more um, back end work. So, I mean, that became um, an admin in the uh, IRC channel that they had, and we did a couple of things. So we did a workshop together at B Sides London as well. We made um, a custom challenge for a workshop. I, I made other VMs for Vulnhub as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just got slowly more involved in that in that community. Mm -hmm. Now that's good to know because I mean I didn't know. And we had got milk on, um, and that should be airing in like four days. So that's interesting. And he mentioned that he he worked with you in the past, um, and I hadn't known that. Um, so so you met him. Explain your interaction, but you know, and how you guys ended up meeting. Like, what was that like meeting Got Milk? Because I want to. Uh, well, I, mean, I think <laughs> the first time I thought I was meeting Got Milk, I was actually meeting Null Mode because. I don't. I'm not gonna. I was about to gonna swear then, but they'd swapped. They'd swapped t-shirts, so they were down there with Vulnhub t-shirts on, with their names on the back, and they'd swap. Oh. And they'd swap t-shirts. So I went up to this guy thinking it was obviously Ben, and it wasn't. I made a complete fool of myself. Oh. <laughs> were they trolling, or why did they do that? Yeah, well, I mean, there I mean, in some ways they're like Laurel. In some ways they're like Laurel and Hardy. I think maybe non-Brits wouldn't get that, but they're a bit of a duo. No, <laughs> they're a bit of a they're a okay. bit of a duo pair. Maybe like the two Ronnies, you know them. That's another British thing. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't do these in non-British ways. But they are they were like a pair, um, and it was just yeah, they were, they were just really funny and um, and really cool. 
And yeah, oh, man, I think I previously mentioned something about when you meet your heroes and I was such this like awkward, dorky, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> but they were, they were really nice. They were really down to earth. Um, ben especially is super, super kind and really helpful. Um, you know, he does anything to try and help you out if you can. So they, yeah, they were, they were really nice people to, uh, to get to know. And yeah, I mean, it, I'd spoken to them on, um, IRC previously. So you kind of, you kind of know who these people are sort of in the background behind, behind the computer screen. But, um, yeah, then, 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 then we met in, um, in real life and, you know, I, I went to Ben's house for a Christmas party, me and, me and uh, Got Milk and Normode and some of their mates had a Christmas party one year and yeah, I mean, just, we just became friends and then, um, and then the project, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how Ben would describe this, but it's kind of broken up a little bit, but I think we're all, we're all good friends still. Like I can, I can WhatsApp, I can WhatsApp him anytime and I can get in touch with Normode anytime and yeah, I mean, I think we just just mates now that's cool so i didn't in i didn't realize are y'all pretty like close like in in terms of like distance like i don't know because christmas party that's like same city type stuff right um I didn't. well not really anymore i mean uh ben was down in miles um mm. i'm pretty far from mm. london anyway it's um a couple of hours on a train for me to get to london so um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's not, it's not too bad, really. I mean, um, yeah, you know, I think no mode is still down there. Um, Ben's moved. I'm not sure where he's moved to now, but you know, okay. m- I mean, most people have these sort of virtual relationships anyway, don't they? So yeah, true. Um, I was going to ask too, like when you, um, when you were starting, not necessarily when you were starting, because you started later, but like, were were there people in your life that were like helping you learn this stuff when you first started getting, you know, into the field and stuff? And like, even now, like, who are some people that you you work with and collaborate with and like, you know, I guess learn with? Um, well, when I was starting off at the foreign office, um, there were we had a couple of contractors there who were they they were doing pen testing anyway because we didn't have. At the time, we didn't have any in-house resource, so we had these contractors in, and we kind of used I used them as a as a kind of like a resource to try and to try and learn from. So I had these two guys to begin with, um, and then when I left the foreign office, I went to work for a, a finance company, and they also had no in-house um, capabilities. So I was kind of like their their first journey into what having an internal pen test team was like. And then, so I was suddenly thrust into, I'm no longer um, like a junior trying to learn from other people. I'm, I'm suddenly this, I'm suddenly the lead, the lead guy in this, in this team. And that was pretty weird. Um, and we got, a, we got a couple of more um, people in, when, uh, you know, at, that, at the finance company. Um, but even, even though I was kind of like the team lead, we kind of had this like knowledge share thing, you know, I mean, you're always trying to, 
you're trying to learn from other people anyway. Everybody has different skills and experience, so it's always good to to learn from other people. Um, and I was only there for maybe three years, I think, before I, I left to go full full time self employed. So now I'm kind of I'm mm. kind of my own, just my own guy now, and I I end up learning just just from people on Twitter. So so mm. I learn from pretty much everybody on my on my followers list. I mean, I could I could list some like key people, but then I'd probably miss some other people, and it'd be massively unfair. Um, mm. But uh, there are a lot of people out there who just willingly share knowledge, and I just kind of soak it up like a sponge and then you know share back when I can whether that be on my own blog or or through whatever medium yeah and that's a great segue <laughs> into into the two the two or three hour um free tutorial you know you did on what is it sharp development for the C2 yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd hate and, to call it a tutorial series because I, I know nothing about .NET or C Sharp. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure, I like to call it a tutorial because it's learning. You know, people are learning from it, you know. So, um, so yeah, can you talk about that? So, like, what led to this? Let's start from the, from the beginning on this thing. Um, it's Sharp C2. Yeah. Can, can you explain what that is to, to our listeners? So, when I was doing um, the pen testy stuff and the Red Team stuff full-time, um, we used uh, we used Cobalt Stripe for for a lot of the as the, like, the mm -hmm. primary tool, and then when I um, when I left the foreign office, no, sorry, when I left the uh, that insurance company, I was like, okay. Well, I don't have I don't have this this tool anymore. Um, so I was, you know, I, you know, I was trying to keep up my learning and trying to keep up my skills or whatever, um, without actually having a, a real client to to play with. I was like, okay, well, I need a, if I can't use Cobalt Strike anymore, um, I need to find something else. So, I mean, <laughs> you're just dying. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> that coffee went down the wrong pipe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry That's okay. about that. Um, it's like when you try to drink quietly, it's like... That's right, yeah. <laughs> I saw you on the camera for Sorry, a brief man. moment there trying to keep it in, and then, no, that's not staying in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man alright go ahead you fail <laughs> so I was um, I went back to um, so, um, existing tools like Netsploit Framework and um, well PowerShell Empire I think was a was still a big thing um, maybe a couple of others and we were already in we were the sort of um, the industry if you like was already starting the shift from okay well we, we there are limitations now to being able to use powershell because of all the increased um, optics and detection and whatever so people were already starting to move away from powershell and it was going towards um c sharp you know people say well, okay mm. um it's easy to kind of transition from powershell to c sharp it's, they're very similar in in um you know sort of being able to code it i guess so I was like, okay, well, uh, damn, I need to start using, learning how to use C-sharp. Damn it, I've only just learned how to use PowerShell, <laughs> and, now, mm. and now I need to change again. Um, and the way I learn best is to, um, you know, especially when it comes to coding, is, that, is to come up with a problem and then 
trying to solve it in code. Um, and I learned a lot of PowerShell when I wrote Sherlock, which was a, a tool to um, find privilege escalation opportunities on on Windows. Um, so my, my first attempt to learn C Sharp was to port that script into, into C Sharp. Um, and then I set myself this outrageously ambitious goal of, well, why don't I try and write a command and control framework in C Sharp? It's a big that job. Is, that is a big job. I mean, there, there were other C Sharp projects along the way. I think if you look at my GitHub, you'd, you'd find that. Um, mm. But I wanted, I wanted something um, big and I wanted something cool. And that, that didn't exist at the time. There wasn't there wasn't a, um, a C two framework specifically targeting um, .NET. So I thought, hell, if I uh, if I get this out, I'm gonna be famous forever. Mm, so was that the motivation? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, but um, the glory. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't really the motivation, but um, I kind of thought, well, if, mm -hmm. if if it doesn't exist and I can make it, maybe it would be useful for people. Or maybe they would look at it and say, well, this is not how you, you don't write tools like this. And, um, you know, they, then they do it properly and then, so, oh, and then okay. somebody actually benefits from it, yeah. right? Um, uh, so that was kind of like where the idea came from, I guess. Um, and I was talking to Adam Chester. Now I knew, um, so Adam, Adam Chester is um, XPN on Twitter. He works for MDSEC. And I knew him because I hired him when I was at the insurance company. Um, well, not hired him, hired him to work there, but I hired him as in through MDSEC when we needed a pen test. So I was like, I know this guy who's pretty good at this kind of thing, so let's get him in. So that's how I started to um, know Adam a little bit. Um, and when he was on site, you know, we were chatting about just stuff as you do. So when I had this idea to write this tool, I, I went to Adam. I was like, well, what, do you, what do you think about this as an idea? And would you possibly want to um, collaborate on it? And that was way back in um, 2018, like October 2018, I think. That was when I had the original idea. Um, and we both worked on it for a while, probably up until about the end of the year. Um, and then he had a kid. And then sort of like work took over. I went on to other things, you know, with my business and Dom Chell obviously keeps Adam busy at MDSEC. So the tool was kind of left alone for the better part of two years. Um, and then when I got my um, course launched, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Um, I know I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll finally, two years later, I'm going to finally go back and and see where we're at with this code and see if we can polish it up and get it out. Um, so yeah, and then that was released as a proof of concept. So I don't know, maybe not that long ago, a couple of weeks, maybe. Now, now Covenant, that's uh, written in what again? Isn't that C or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's .NET as well, written in C Sharp. And that was really interesting because we were, we were obviously working on the two tools at the same time. You know, Ryan was obviously working on this thing at the same time that me and Adam were working on ours. 
but we never got as out and then he did and then um i spent a lot of time using covenant i wrote a lot of maybe not a lot but a significant number of um blogs with covenant usage i contributed a lot of tasks to covenant a lot of code to covenant um Ryan also invited me to be one of the developers on Sharpsploit, which is a .NET library um, for post-exploitation. Um, so I contributed a lot of code to that. So kind of in between the Sharp C2 hiatus, I kind of focused a lot of effort on Covenant and I learned a lot more C Sharp and I learned a lot more from how Ryan had architected Covenant. Um, and I used some of that is influenced back into C sharp before I finally released it, and you know C sharp C sharp is not uh, sharp C two sorry is not meant to be like a competition to or a replacement to Covenant. It's just kind of like my take on some you know or mine and Adam's take on um, a possible way to you know build a similar tool. Yeah, and that's good. That's good clarification for people they don't know you know like the the history there um <clears throat> do you do you have a, a working relationship with ryan cobber that is i would love to get him on too um well i mean i th i think i think maybe i met him once in vegas but i can't <laughs> actually remember because i was probably quite drunk oh, God. <laughs> so <laughs> what were you doing in vegas too oh that was uh i managed to get to black hat um one of one of okay. the years um so i met i met up with a bunch of um, specs the Spectrops folks. I met Will and Andy and Rohan and and like I said, I think I bumped into Ryan, but I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> um, well, maybe he has the rest of the story. yeah. Maybe you uh, find this guy. I met this guy right. He he, he, he told me his name was Rastamouse, and he gave me this big hug. He was such a strange guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I think I've only really. Um, spoken to ryan on like twitter and slack and and whatever else but i mean our working relationship goes about as far as um i'm a collaborator on sharpsploit which he owns and um i've contributed to um covenant which he also owns so he's kind of i know him because he rejects a lot of my really bad code <laughs> <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> okay cool um now, getting back to, you know, Sharp C2, um, you know, it's kind of your take. What um, what are your, I guess, future plans for it? Like, are you, are you going to continue developing it? Are you accepting, like, code, you know, get requests that pe people put on it? Or? Well, my, um, uh, I guess, short to medium term plans is to get it into a place where it's um, stable enough to use in real life and has a decent set of, um features that you know would make it useful my my primary use case for it though is not is not really for people to be using out on real engagement it's it's as a um learning and training tool um so my training course at the moment uses ironically uses covenant you know as as far as the course material, as mm -hmm. far as the course material goes, every all the demos or whatever they're all shown in Covenant. Um, <clears throat> but what I hope to be able to do is replace that with um, Sharp C two, and again, not because I think it's any better, but because I can more easily 
um, uh, control it, I guess. So, I mean, people say at the moment, my students say at the moment, I've got this problem with Covenant. And all I can really, all I, all I can really say at the moment is, well, raise a GitHub issue and just hope for the best. Oh, Which yeah. is not like, oh. it's obviously not great. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it being um, controlled by somebody else, I mean, somebody could PR a change into Covenant that impacts my course material in some way, or, you know, it's just more, it's more difficult for me to keep up with the changes to make sure that my course material is up to date. So if I control the flow of Sharp C2, it's, it's just easier for me to, to maintain, really. That's, that, yeah, that yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the short-term goal, really. <clears throat> now, can you speak on your um, MC bypass stuff, too? Because I think that was pretty big uh, when it, you know, first came around or whatever. How did you get to discover that? Or like, what's the origin behind that whole AMC bypass stuff? Um, I think I, um, did you know? No, 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 I'm a massive fraud. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I read, uh, I read a paper, I think it was by CyberArk. Uh, some of their researchers had talked about it. And I think actually, um, what's his name? Like Tal, is it Tal Lieberman? I think maybe he he gave a talk at Black Hat years and years ago about uh, different ways to bypass AMSI. But um, yeah, this CyberArk paper talked about um, being able to patch exported functions in in the process um, to kind of change AMSI's behavior. Um, and they provided some code. I can't remember if that was in C or C sharp. But this whole idea again, this this was kind of like new to me. This whole idea of being able to, um, you know, find these exported functions within a process and um, go and start messing around with with memory was really interesting. So all I really did was take basically what they were talking about and just change it into sort of like again my own kind of flavor of it um and, and, that, and that was really it i didn't do anything th anything special i i uh reversed um the amp dll which is as easy as like opening it in a disassembler or whatever and um <laughs> yeah and that, and that was it really and then i just i just published it and it it's had recent updates um which i didn't come up with. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, I think it's it's dreadfully unfair that um, some people like me get credit for releasing stuff when mm -hmm. all all I've really done is just take something that somebody else has written and just changed it slightly. But that, that yeah, that that that's the reality of it, really. Yeah, I think to your blog is very, um, you know, informative or whatever. And I think a lot of people learn from the, you know, your posts and stuff that you write. So then, you know, their entire world on the subject points to you, you know, on MC bypass. Oh, that's Rasta mouth. You know, I have, um, I have an ex colleague who will remain nameless. If he ever listens to this, he'll know who he is. And he, there's a running joke where 
if he wants to know how to do something, he'll Google what it is he thinks he's looking for. And eventually something will, it'll lead him to something that has raster mouse on it. <laughs> and he absolutely hates it. <laughs> it's almost like that. That's it's funny. almost like that nine, what's it? Nine degrees of separation or whatever. Every, everything you want to be able to do in some way leads back to raster mouse somehow, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think is true. It's just That's a good funny. joke. But I mean, yeah, I mean, my, my <laughs> blog is, um, I either use the blog because I want to write about something that I know I'm going to forget and I need a reference back to it myself, or I've put significant effort and trouble into finding out how to do something that I'm going to damn well write it up again, A, because I don't forget about it and then B, hopefully somebody else will find it useful. And that, that those are really my two two motivations for for blogging. Yeah, do you um with your um Rasta? Well, let me ask you. So, do you have you have two separate labs, right? So, there's one for Hack the Box, which is Rasta Labs, and then you have another lab for the Red Team Ops. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Yeah, that's great. yeah. So even though um, they're like quote unquote owned by the same company which is my company they're completely different they run on completely different infrastructure the payment models are completely different you know they couldn't be more they couldn't be more different really because hack the box are the ones who look after raster labs i've really got nothing to do with the the day-to-day -day running of it at all i just um i just provide updates to it every quarter all of all of the billing goes through hack the box all of, you know all the user access goes through the hack the box vpn and then, uh, yeah, and then the red team up stuff all comes direct from from me. So yeah, I mean they are they are they are completely different. Um, I want to ask you this: like, when you're, what is some, what's some of your like um, methodology that you like to use, like on AD networks? So like, if you were actually in, let's say, uh, Rasta Labs, like, what are some things that you uh, like to do for enumeration <laughs> and I'm not asking for the answers but well, uh, <laughs> if you want to give some <laughs> maybe maybe if you'd asked me a year and a half ago I could have given you a really good answer but now that I'm so out of practice I wouldn't have a clue where to start no <laughs> yeah, honestly no honestly you try not doing something for the better part of uh, two years and then see how good you are at it honestly wait Wait, I mean, are you telling it? You're not telling us right now that you cannot do Rasta. Yeah, I reckon if you. Okay, well, I reckon if you if you dropped me into into Rasta Labs and I didn't know it was Rasta Labs or a lab that was anything like Rasta Labs, I bet you I couldn't do it. Really? Yeah, that is shocking. Yeah. Whoa! I think it's the difference. Yeah, that I is... think it's the difference between um, being a practitioner and being more of a theorist. So I've definitely gone from being a practitioner to just being a theorist. Um, and I think, for me anyway, I, you 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 lose a lot of uh, a lot of skills there, and a lot of knowledge. That is interesting. So so you so you made the challenges though. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I made the challenges like how long ago? That's two years ago, two and a yeah. half years ago. Oh, okay. So you're saying when you made them, you could? You oh could yeah, back then, back then I could do them. Yeah, oh, I mean, okay. I had to I had to make them and I had to solve them make sure it's actually yeah, it was sure. actually possible 
Um, yeah, I just think that, uh, I mean, some of the things are so complex anyway that um, you just don't, mm. you don't remember them anyway because the, the details are so intricate. Um, but I think, I yeah. think you definitely do lose a lot of, um, a lot of muscle memory. As, okay. You know, yeah. That, that I do understand. Yeah. Which is embarrassing um, to say, Hey everyone, come and, um, come and take my course. Come <laughs> and take my red team up course. Cause I'm obviously awesome at what I do. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I thought you were just telling me like you, you made the course, but like you couldn't like, you know, you like as you were making it, like you weren't totally sure that you could do it. I was like, oh, well, oh that, that, God, that, that's crazy. Oh, that definitely that definitely comes up on occasion. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm like, gonna, I'm gonna know. try and well because I, th I think people, people quite like my labs. I mean, there's something about them that is that are quite real world, and that's why they like them. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I try and come up with um, based on my old kind of like professional knowledge, what I saw when I was actually doing pen testing and red teaming is, you know, you, you come across a lot of different systems and environments and, and whatever. So I, I do try and come up with um, little scenarios for the lab, you know, to make sure it looks realistic. And sometimes I come up with something and um, I've, I've configured it in such a way that no, actually, you know, this isn't breakable in the way that I thought it was. But, you know, which is also kind of interesting because you can, it's an opportunity there to kind of push yourself to, you know, find a way to find a different way to, to solve it. But I've definitely built stuff that have has not been solvable, but you know, this is why we have like testing, right? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, do you, so let me ask you this. What, what operating system do you use? Just out of vain curiosity. Well, my data. Are you a Mac guy? No, no data. -day. I use Windows. Yeah, day to day. Uh, there's only yeah day to day. I use Windows. I do have a Mac, really? but um, yeah, day to day. I use Windows, and there are kind of like maybe two main reasons. The first one is I absolutely detest Visual Studio on a Mac. <laughs> there are many things I would rather do than use Visual Studio on a Mac. Um. And gaming, those and those are the only two reasons. Okay, what games do you play? Um, I Kyle. I quite like. Um, I'm not I'm not like a, a shoot 'em up kind of guy. I like um, I like more slow paced um, strategy games or just builder games. So I was I was into City Skylines for a long time. You know, kind of like um, like SimCity type games. Those kind of build builder okay. games, um, Civilization. I quite enjoy as well. Just something slightly slower pace where I can take my time and just enjoy it. I think the last time I played like Call of Duty multiplayer, I think many profanities and much anger erupted. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm way too old to get that stressed. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a much more slower pace kind of gamer. Okay, I can see that. <laughs> uh, you're you seem very like um like methodical and you know like you like to think and stuff like that. Like I'll take that as a compliment. I'll, I'll, I'll take that something. as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. In other yeah. words, in, in other words, you're you're boring. <laughs> no, what? You are a savage, man. No, no, no. You, you, yeah, you just seem very focused and uh, 
you know, pointed or whatever. Um, you had mentioned before that you went to DEF CON. What else happened? You know, what was your thoughts on, you know, DEF CON and stuff while you were there? Have you only been to one so far? Oh, man, I've never, I've never actually been to DEF CON. I went for, um, or, uh, yeah, Hat. I went to Black Hat once. So I did, um, I did some training there. Um, uh, what was it? It was FireEye, actually, some FireEye red teaming. So I met um, some, of, some of those guys. So I met um, Chris, um, Chris Trancer, who's uh, pretty well known. He, he's, um, he started his own company now, actually, uh, 40 North Security. He's doing really well. Oh, I heard of yeah, that. Yeah, so I met, I met Chris. What's, what's his uh, handle? I think, it's, I think it's just at, at Chris Trancer. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I was there for however long that was, like four day training. Um, and then I, I didn't stay, I didn't stay long cause it was on company dime. So I was, I was there for as little time as was humanly possible. I think I even left, mm -hmm. I think I even left the uh, same day that the, uh, course finished. Um, what? <clears throat> oh, oh really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get much social time apart from in the evenings, um, where I just got hammered every day and really struggled the next day in the class. But that was that was that was the same, um, that was the same trip where I met all those Spectrops guys. So I kind of I kind of did it I Have did you... it all in one trip. I met everyone in one trip because <laughs> I've only been there once. Oh. I've only been there once. Have you um. Have you had a chance to take any other like cer uh, certification courses and stuff like that? Um. No, I mean I'm. <clears throat> trainings. I'm trying to think of a way to say it nicely, but I kind of have, I kind of have fears these days that, um, if I go and do, you know, some training, like some red team training, I don't want the, I don't want the backlash. If something's similar then appears in my course, you see what I mean? Mm. So I'm kind of, I'm, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm kind of in this place now where I'm, um, to develop my courses, I just have to either learn and develop my own tradecraft, which is not a bad thing, mm. or learn from the stuff that people are publishing freely. But I would, I'd feel, I'd feel really bad. You know, even though I've done, okay, here's an example. Even though years and years and years and years and years ago, I wrote this blog post about deploying um, red team infrastructure into the cloud using um, Terraform and that um, was used as inspiration for tools such as Red Baron that um, Bitebleeder wrote and Adam Chester also referenced in um, one of the latest blogs that he wrote about how MDSEC deploy the labs for their training. So even though um, a lot of what people are doing sort of goes back to that original blog post, I'd feel that if I went and did, for example, uh, MD, MD sex training where they were doing automated um, lab deployment, I'd then feel like I couldn't do that myself because I'd feel like mm. I'm stealing it, you know? So I kind of tr try and stay away from explicitly doing somebody else's training just from fear that I then kind of veto it from my own, my own offering. So... I only take what I can come up with my come up with myself or what people are going to publish for free. I feel less guilty about doing that. 
Yeah, it seems like it. There's a there was an ethical, you know, thing. I guess barrier that gets erected whenever you, you know, start doing your own course <clears throat> material or whatever. Yeah. So, so you've never been able to take any of the offset stuff because I was going to ask you about the offset course material, which you thought. Oh, I did uh, uh, the um, OSCP way back in like 2014. I did the Wi-Fi one as well. So yeah, so when I started, when I first started getting into pen testing, I did, I did those two courses. Um, I did a couple of other ones as well. So I did one from Elen Security, I think, and. Um, uh, Maybe that's it. I can't remember now. And then, yeah, and then I've done some training at some conferences and some workshops or whatever. But um, the Sans one, I've done a Sans one as well. Sorry. <clears throat> but since being self-employed, I've not not done any um, third-party training. And it's been so, and it's been so long since I did any of them that I mean, I couldn't really, I couldn't really fairly comment mm. on um, on the content because. You know, I, I don't even remember what I had for dinner yesterday, let alone what, what's in there, some course material from like six years ago. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, if you, you know, recommended any other ones or whatever for people, you know, trying to learn. Uh, but, you know, like you said, just it was so long ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really um, it's really tricky anyway. I don't I don't I'm not entirely sure that I would um, be comfortable recommending um, <laughs> something that somebody would then go and buy. Just, just yeah. because then they're going to be knocking on my door saying this thing was crap and you told me to buy it. <laughs> but I mean, I really think that um, depending on what they want to learn, I mean, they should just, people should just go and check out what the syllabus is, you know, what the syllabus contains, what the course is all about, and then decide whether that's right for them. Just just because, um, you know, OSCP and Offsec have this uh, reputation in the market for being the best or you know one of the best intro pen testing qualifications courses doesn't automatically mean that you should go and do it um you kind of everyone has to make their own mind up on that yeah and consider where they are too in their skill set and stuff yeah um what are your thoughts on education in general and i like to ask all my guests that come on this question um you know, what are your thoughts on like getting, um, like going to university and stuff? I know you guys call it university. Over yeah. There. Um, do you think that people aspiring to become like pen testers and, and do what you do and stuff like that, should they go to university or is there like another way that you recommend that they learn this stuff? What, what, what are your thoughts on well, that? Well, I mean, I didn't go to university. Really? Yeah. Wow. That, okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like I said before, I mean, I came out of um, college, which for us, I guess, is, um, I think maybe college for you is our equivalent of university. So for us, college yeah. is like one below. High school? Yeah, it's, well, it's just above, it's just above high school for us. It's kind of in the middle between high school and university. So you go to college for, for one or two years. Um, so after, yeah, after, um after I left my secondary school, which is, I guess, high school for you, um, I, I yeah went to college and then came out and did something completely different. I did that um, astronomy thing. I didn't go to university at all. Like I said, I wasn't even interested in computers, really. Um, so it's definitely possible to to make it 
I guess, if you consider that I've made it. <laughs> it's, it's definitely... <laughs> You've made yeah, it. Um, yeah, made it, made it, baby. It's definitely, it's, it's, it's definitely <laughs> possible to get into... Um, if you want to go and get a job at a, a pen test firm or be an internal pen tester in whatever industry you think you might be interested in, whether that be finance or government or whatever else, you, I wouldn't say you need to go to university at all. Um, you, you know, cause I didn't, and, um, I've worked in those places sometimes though. I wish maybe I had, but I think you would also, you would, you would, you also, whenever you have a choice about what you're going to do in your life, you have to go one way or the other. And I think you're always going to look back and say, well, what, what would my life have been like if I'd done the other thing? Would I have been better off? Well, I mean, you never know the answer to that and you kind of drive yourself crazy trying. Um, but yeah, I think university is, in this country anyway is not um, required at all. No. Mm. I think it depends on, yeah, I think been... it depends on what kind of, um, what kind of learner you are. Um, like, I mean, in the UK anyway, you kind of have, you know the, the traditional academic routes and then you have um more sort of hands-on-y type um type roles and that so you can go and go ahead and do your, your university degrees or whatever you're going to do but you can you know there are also different types of apprenticeships you can do or hands-on learning that you can do and i think depending on what kind of learner you are would kind of uh, sway you to one position or the other i think if you're the kind of person who can't sit still in a classroom and can't focus on what this person is telling you. Uh, I don't think you're going to do particularly well in university. I think you're just going to do, I think you're going to take your student loan and you're going to drink it basically <laughs> and hope that you come out the other end with something and then be saddled with the debt. Um, or if you're, if you're more of a hands-on learner, you can go and do something that would, would suit you more. But I think it's it's just down to the person. Yeah, yeah, that's been pretty much the the unanimous answer that I've gotten. Oh, um, good, I got it right notes. then. I got it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it right. <laughs> you answered correctly because most people are. I feel like most people are more hesitant to be like you know school because my parents were die hard about college and you know going. You've got to graduate and all this stuff and. Mm. Now I'm I'm surrounded, you know, with coworkers and people like you, you know, um, they're just like, no, don't, <laughs> don't go, don't do it, you know. And it's, you know, I think there's, I always imagine, you know, the me that was in college, you know, I always want to speak to the me in college and be like, you don't have to do this, you know, and you're a prime example of that. You yeah. Know, somebody who went was, you were an astronomer. Yeah. You know, that's. Yeah. Totally different. I, mean, I think I think if I if I look back at my childhood, um, cue the kind of like ripply transition and the, and the music. <laughs> I'll probably edit edit something. <laughs> um, like my parents, neither of them went to like further education, and neither of them um, really excelled at anything. I mean, maybe excelled at anything is really unfair, but both of them. Like my dad was a he used to be a coal miner and then he be and then when they closed he was a postman he still is a postman he's in his 50s now um and my mom i think she just was you just get any job you can get so i think she worked in a in a care home for a while as a carer and then when i was at school she used to work in the school kitchens you know making the the wee kids lunch 
And, <laughs> you know, they used to kind of like say to me, like my dad especially, he'd be like, Dan, don't, don't end up like me. Don't end up in a, in like a dead end job or, or whatever. May, you know, try and make something of yourself. Um, and I don't think he ever really pushed me to do university or to, you know, go down any particular route. But he was very much like, uh, if you, you need to do something, like don't just try and, you know, you got those two options, right? Or you got several options, but you're better off picking one and going with it than like not picking any and just like trying to coast your way through life. He, he was very much like, you just need to find something, you need to do it, you need to try and do it well. But, um, so I think when I, um, I was, I was floundering around for a while, you know, after I, um, after I got that astronomy job and I was like, well, okay, now I need to find something. And then I got that job with the foreign office and I was moving around in the foreign office for a long time doing different things. But I think for me, when I found like pen testing, that was the kind of thing that I, that was really the first time where I, I felt like that was the thing that I could do. That was the thing to latch onto. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I've done ever since is just tr tried to um, try to acquire that set of skills and just do the best with it that I could. So far, it's going okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what? Um, let me ask you, what were your, um, what do you feel like is like one of the greatest, you know, hacks and stuff or um you know projects or something like what's some of the it's the greatest things that you've witnessed since you, you know you've been in the industry that you can think of something like you're either the most proud of or were the most impressed by what's like some of the awesome stuff that you've seen um i think the one thing that i've seen that i've been most impressed by and it's had the biggest impact on me is actually when powershell empire was released mm -hmm. um because I thought I saw this tool and I was like, I don't really know what this is about. Um, and I was reading about it and I was like, okay, well, that's cool. But that if I run this thing here I'm on my work laptop, that'll never work. So I set it up and I ran it and it did work. And I basically, and, oh, and I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> and uh, that was a big sort of like turning point. Because before then I'd be, I'd been more into kind of like the Linuxy stuff, you know, you know, Fulnhub had a lot of Linux images for fairly obvious reasons. And, uh, so a lot, I knew a lot of Linux things, but then when I saw this thing called PowerShell, I, well, I don't know what PowerShell is, but I've run it. I ran this thing and it works. And that was really, um, a fundamental turning point for me when I became interested in windows security was to just see what this tool was doing. And, and it was kind of a segue into, I maybe it was a little bit like walking into like Narnia, I guess. Like PowerShell Empire was the closet. And I kind of stepped through those doors and discovered this whole wor world of um, Windows and AD. So that was a uh, that was a pretty big defining moment for me, and I think it's the most impressed I've ever been with a tool. Um, in what exactly did you What exactly did you do? Oh, I just spun up PowerShell Empire on a VPS in like AWS. 
No, you said when it worked. What did what? Oh, what I just got I just do? got like the agent appear. Oh. I just got the agent appear, and that was it. And then I panicked and got mm. scared. And closed, and closed it. <laughs> but I, I, I ran the PowerShell payload, fully expecting it just to do nothing or to fail. Um, and it didn't, and it worked. And I was like, "What is this magic?" Mm-hmm. So that was the most impressive I've ever been with the tool. The most impressive thing that I've ever produced probably changes every time I produce something new. And I think that's and that's okay. just a. Um, uh, testament, I guess, to personal growth. I remember, you know, yeah. I remember the first tool that I, I think the very, the very first tool I ever wrote was Bash script, and it was it, obviously it was absolutely terrible because I wrote it to learn Bash, <laughs> and it was absolute garbage. Um, what did it do? Now I'm curious. Um, it it brute forced uh, Wi-Fi passwords. That's pretty awesome. So, as the first thing that you yeah I mean, yeah I mean, I, when I did um, uh, the offsec Wi-Fi course, you mm-hmm. do a lot of okay, you're gonna break um, break weapon, you know, weapon encryption and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there's there, there are obviously ways you can break WPA, but you need that handshake with a client. And you know, people used to say a lot. Well, if the, if there are no clients connected to the to a WPA PA access point, and then you can't, and the words were can't, you can't break it. And I was like, well, you can, you just, you could, you could just brute force the password, right? Because it's, it's after all, it's just Wi-Fi with a password. Um, and that, and that's, and that's what I wrote it all to do. And that's all it did. It was a wrapper around like WPA supplement or whatever the tool was, whatever the Wi-Fi network tool was on Linux. And all it did was take in a word list and try and brute force the Wi-Fi password. That does not sound like a bad tool. <laughs> well, like I mean, it's really awesome. Tool. Well, I mean, it was it was s- slow and it was obviously oh. coded really badly. But you know, see, you- <clears throat> that, you're using Rasta mouse standards <laughs> right now. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. It was the, it was the first thing I wrote, and um, I was pretty I was pretty mm. impressed with it at the time. But you all you know that okay, well. The next tool I wrote, right, is going to be better because I'm going to I'm going to take what I've learned doing this. I won't make the same mistakes. I know more, um, mm-hmm. and so my next tool will be will be better. And and I think for me, every time I've written a tool, doesn't matter what language it's in. You know, when I wrote my first C sharp tool, it was pretty garbage. And then when I wrote the next one, it was a little bit better, and I was really proud of that. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever written, even though it's still a bit lame. But then the next thing you write, you write after that, it's a little bit better and then, then a little bit better again. And and that's it. You just, and every time I write any tool, it's like, well, this is better um, than the last one I wrote. Um, it has, I'm, I'm using, you know, more complex things within the language. You know, you could say, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not using, I'm not manipulating my data, just using like arrays or lists. I'm doing something a little bit more complicated. Maybe I've you know okay now I'm now I've got something that uses delegates now I'm now I'm really I'm really cool now um, so yeah I think every every time I've written any tool I've tried to incorporate something new to do with the language as a learning point and you know therefore 
the latest tool I wrote is the one that I've been most impressed by because invariably it has something that the last one didn't. And uh, there's a lot of uh, like pride and satisfaction in that, I guess. Mm. That's awesome. So is your passion like with development now? Is that where your heart and soul lies? God. I, t- <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there's something really satisfying about writing a tool to do something. Um, so I think you have, you have people, um, in the, uh, sort of out there who, um, they write things more to do with like theory, like, Hey, this thing is possible. And here's like a proof of concept or here's like a, a working example or something that's not completely weaponized, you know? And then to take something like that and actually turn it into a fully fledged tool or a suite of tools or whatever it's going to be, I think I just, it's just something really satisfying. I just think maybe for me, just seeing something like tangible that you've produced and something that actually runs and does something is, is quite satisfying. And so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of just writing a tool to, even if it's just to learn something or make part of your life a little bit easier. I mean, I wrote um, a suite of tools to do lateral movement just to learn how how it worked, really. Like, I wrote, I wrote one for PowerShell that used PowerShell run spaces because I wanted to understand a little bit more about how PowerShell run spaces work. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I just think writing tools is just fun. Not mm. that I'd ever call myself a developer. I think it's just, I think it's just fun and satisfying. Okay. Um, do you? Let me ask you, what's next? Like, what do you feel like is uh, on the horizon? Because it sounds like when you are, you know, building things, you just kind of build them to learn yourself. Um, but do you have like a direction that you want to go in or are you, do you just like to just explore? Um, what I tend to do is I tend to explore lots of different ideas and then sort of try and amalgamate them into something that is like a, a collection of thoughts. So um, I, I was learning a lot of P invoke because that seemed interesting at the time. So maybe I would say, okay, well, I've learned a lot of PInvoke. Maybe I have lots of different standalone tools that use PInvoke for various things. Maybe I'll try and amalgamate them all into like one tool that is a solution to some problem, whether that exists or not is a different matter. Um, Sharp C2 will probably become an example of that, um, you know, because it will probably need lateral movement capabilities at some point. And therefore, all the all the little tricks that I've learned to do things with WMI or PowerShell or um, you know SMB or PSExec would all kind of like come together into a into a into that tool. Um, I think like more wide widely though is I've got this Red Team Ops course that was released this year. And that's only five months, really. It's not a huge amount of time. Um, so I've 
I'm going to be working on trying to get Sharp C2 as the replacement tool within that course. And then probably after that is to start thinking about doing another course. So a successor to Red Team Ops. So Red Team Ops is um, supposed to be more begin beginner friendly, you know, as a place to start if you're interested in red teaming and those kind of tactics. But then it's only logical that another course will come after it um, that will be uh, more advanced, whether that be just more advanced uh, red team tactics or, um, you know, just something. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that yeah, that, 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 that's kind of the next year of my life probably is, is working towards that. Okay. Do you have a, uh, well, I guess it would be too soon to ask, but what, what kind of name for that? Would you think like a sequel to red team ops? Pro I guess it could be red team ops. Two yeah. Red team ops two. <laughs> it will be that. Yeah. It, it, it will be that. It will be that because I've already got the uh, logo made. Oh, really? Yeah, well, really? Well, when I had the logo for red team ops made, I was just like, well, just stick a two on that one. I've actually got, I've actually got a logo for red team ops three as well. Oh, not really? that I have not Dang. not that okay. I ever think Red Team Ops Three will be a thing, but I've got the logo just in case. Okay, okay. Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Colcast exclusive, Colcast uh, or uh, Red Team Ops Three confirmed. <laughs> come come into your come three, into your, come, come into your houses in like May twenty twenty five. Right, coming to you. That's awesome. Um, I love Colcast exclusives um so um okay man that's good I, I i'm i'm excited and actually i need to get into that course that you know the red team ops uh my buddy rudy uh hex cartel he at hex cartel he is uh you know in it or whatever he said it was fantastic he loves oh, it good um he's going through through the labs and stuff <laughs> yeah yeah he didn't say it was bad so yeah he said it's really good so um i'm definitely gonna have to check that out um in your in your daily life man what's 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 going on what's new you know i know you're a father um and stuff yep. you know how what's what's your what, you know what do you have going on in your you know daily personal stuff outside of work um well uh the most immediate thing is an extension that we're going to be building and i know that's incredibly thrilling to hear about <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've got a lot of um i mean there's a whole backstory about why I ended up in this house when I left when I left the uh, foreign office. Um, what is what is this house? You say this house as if it's yeah. like some sort of a, asylum. Well, I mean, it's not. It's not a very nice house. Oh, really? It looks nice. It looks like uh, from the camera. Well, this is nice. the only room I've decorated. That's why. Um, yeah, but like, <laughs> okay. okay. Well, when I when I uh, got the job with the foreign office, as I I left home, that was that was that was me leaving home because I had to move to get the job. And um, mm. my now wife was still at university at the time. And then when she left university, we bought a house together down where I was working. So she, that, so she left. We both left our hometown because I'd moved away for work. Um, but we used, to, we used to come back and visit our parents for, you know, Christmas and other holidays. And um, sort of one year, maybe one Christmas, um, I just decided that I'd kind of had enough with the with the job at the foreign office. 
So, okay, I accept that I'm going to be looking for another job. Why not effectively move back, move back home? Well, not home, home, but back to back to our hometown. Um, mm. And then she got pregnant. <laughs> oh, so, wow. um, so pregnant with our first. Um, so we had to kind of find a house, and we just not quite bought the first one that we saw, but bought the first one that we saw <laughs> for slightly for slightly cheaper for the area, and not surprisingly because it, it was a bit run down. Um, so yeah, so the house is not particularly in great condition. So um, we're doing a lot of work to try and um, to try and get it into a nice family home really so we've got a lot of work to do got building extension garage conversion we're open planning some of the some of the downstairs so we're knocking down some walls um yeah there's a lot to do all all while running my business from home as well so that'll be interesting yeah that's that's a lot what does she think about your the work that you do if you don't mind me she thinks I must be some sort of like drug cartel uh, <laughs> member or leader. She does not really understand. I mean, she thinks I sit up here and just watch YouTube all day. She does not. <laughs> she does, which is not necessarily untrue, but she doesn't really understand how I can make money doing seemingly nothing. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I think she's, uh, and she likes me being at home. You know, now we've got two kids, and especially now. Uh, during the, uh, you know, the coronavirus situation, that the little one can't be at nursery, she's happy for me to be at home just to try and lend a helping hand with, you know, with when the uh, the eldest gets a little bit out of hand. Um. So yeah, so apart from being completely incredulous, she's also quite glad. Does she so? Does she know like your your handle and all that? Like your Rasta mouse? And... Yeah, she thinks the whole thing's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my. oh man, that's so funny. And when I tell her, when I tell her, like like the story where I said, you know, where people where people meet me and they say, "Wait, are you the real Rasta?" Mouse? She's like, "Who are these? Why are they saying that? Like, who are these people?" Like, Don't be mean. They're really nice people. Um, yeah, she. I mean, she finds the whole thing a bit bizarre. Yeah, and I'm gonna ask you something Tinkersec asked me. Like when you when people meet you, you know, and you're meeting like let's say a stranger, do you, do you what do you tell them um, is your line of work? Like they say, you know, what do you do for a living? What do you what do you tell them? Oh man, it, usually, it, usually I just well, I mean, my my previous experience is you know, I'm I'm um, I'm a penetration test, and they go mm, penetration. <laughs> 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 um, so now I just say, no, I, just, I work in IT. Most of the time I just say, I just, okay. I just, no, I have a boring job, I work in IT. Some, sometimes okay. I'll expand it and say, oh, I do like IT training or something like that. I basically never, hardly ever mention like the hacking or anything along those lines, ever. Unless I know the person or I'm getting to know them or I think I'm going to get to know them. Just in passing, I, I don't know. Say no, work in IT. Now, why is that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. Really, it's, part of me is just sick of explaining it all the time. 
Which okay. is like really horrible to say. Like I just can't. I can't. Sorry, I can't be bothered to explain this thing to you. Um, but I mean, a lot of people just don't get it, and which is fine. I don't expect them to get it. I think if I asked somebody and they said that they were like some type of like really obscure insurance salesman, I'd be like, I, I don't know what that thing is. I'm happy just to know that you're an insurance salesman. I don't really need to know to what extent you're an, you're an insurance salesman. So for most people, they're just happy to know that you just you work in IT. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just old and tired, but I'm sort of yeah. Um, that's you know that that was a good analogy. I don't know. I just made yeah. That up. I yeah. Um, man, yeah, that's crazy, man. Um, we've been going for a good while here. I think we got an hour in. Um, I'm looking at our, our other little notes here. Um, I, I do want to say thank you for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Too, and, you you're, the, you're the um, you're the first. You've popped my interview podcast cherry. Oh God! You're the first per- <laughs> why did you have to? Put, why did you have to put it like that? <laughs> you're the first person who ever asked me out on an interview. Oh my god! So I'm the first one to take you on a yeah, date. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I've never, I've never really been, never been interested enough. I thought you were a bit crazy when you asked me. I thought you, this guy doesn't really know who I am. <laughs> he thinks <laughs> I'm some. Funny. He thinks yeah, I'm somebody yeah. else, and he's gonna get a shock. No, no, no. I'm, I'm was like, I was telling all my friends. I was like, man, and my friends are still at, like super excited i'm like man i got rasta mouse on we're gonna do this thing man it's gonna be live you know and everybody's like ah rasta mouse in. so yeah that's really good i mean I, that's, it's really cool like even though i'm a, i think i said previously that even though i'm a little bit like socially awkward in that regard I'm, i it's nice to see that people get excited oh and this yeah, this must and, be what it's like being david beckham <laughs> yeah you're the you're the david beckham of, uh, info sec now <laughs> do with that one comment you know that's a cliff that um yeah because man to be honest people don't really know like even looking at your twitter i was gonna bring this up you know you don't really know which one of those people you are in the picture i mean you can logically guess you know the one you know but people don't really you know, you don't really know for sure which one you are. I don't know if you meant that or not. No, I think it was just because I was so fanboyed that I was like, that's going to be my picture. I think that was the only yeah. reason. You, in, it's, I think it's okay, safe for me to say you are the one without the Spectre Ops yes. hat. And, and, um, yes. And I, I think I've confused some people. Some people think I work for Spectre Ops and I don't. Some people think I work for Hack the Box as well mm-hmm. and I don't. So clarification right there that's good clarity yeah yeah with all the people the spectre ops has yeah, yeah. um th- go ahead no, i mean I, was, I think i i don't know if i've said this already but um i think i might have mentioned the uh imposter syndrome already that i don't i don't really think that um anything that i do or anything that i put it that out there is particularly special um but um as long as as long as people are finding it interesting or they find it useful or they're learning something from it, then that's, that's really what I'm looking for. And that makes me happy. Do you struggle with that imposter syndrome? Like a lot? Is that something? Uh, not, not, not to a debilitating degree. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it's just I guess it's just one of those things that's always there. Um, I, I like yeah. I think when maybe when you asked me if I if I if I would do this, I was like, well, I don't really feel like anybody would find that particularly interesting because why would they, right? It's just I don't feel like anything I do is particularly interesting. Um, yeah. and maybe maybe to that degree, I remember um, Nikhil Mittal asked me to help him or cover somebody when he delivered one of his training classes at uh, Brucon in Belgium. He asked me to cover. I was like, Nick Hill, man, why are you, why are you asking me? Like, I'm sure there are 20,000 other people who are going to be better at this than me. Um, and I was, I was nervous about doing it for that reason. I didn't think that I was good enough to help him with his course or help him with his, you know, help, help his students. Um, so maybe, maybe to, I mean, I try not to let that kind of thinking hold me back. Um, but it's, it's always there. For sure. Mm. Um, so in wrapping up, um, are you going to, what other um, appearances are, do you have planned? Um, are you going to be doing like any local like uh, B-sides talks or anything like that? Any stuff like that? I know they are barely having B-sides, you know, or any conferences with the Corona stuff, but you know, are there any, any talks and trainings and stuff that you're going to be giving in the near future? No, nothing planned. I mean, I don't, not certainly not trainings. I mean, I, my my business model is to is to stick to the online stuff, just because it's um, cheaper to deliver for people and it's more scalable. Um, and I don't know. Maybe if I thought of a talk topic that would be interesting then maybe I'll think about it but again I really can't think of a of a like talk topic that would be interesting or that would be accepted and I know I just said that I try not to let that kind of thing hold, hold me back but um maybe that is a little bit beyond for me you know mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people just, you know, like to hear what you have to say, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think if I was just rocking up, I mean, I would go, I would go to like besides Manchester or Leeds or uh, London, I would go. And if people wanted to talk to me, I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, mm. And but I just think I'm a little bit too behind the curtain to actually be the one giving talks. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, okay. And in terms of like, where, where, if people wanted to get in touch with you, like online, where's like your primary presence? I know you're on uh, the Mattermost, um, the NetSet Focus group. Um, is there anywhere else that you kind of lurk and spend your time, you know, online where people can reach out to you and uh, collab? Yeah, I mean, I'm well, I'm. I'm obviously on Twitter, so you can reach out to me there. I'm also in um, a couple of uh, Slack channels as well. So if you know of the, um, the that big bloodhound gang Slack channel, um, I'm in there. I hang around in the uh, in the in the uh, Covenant channel and um, the Aggressor channel um, and a bunch of the other channels. So that's if you want if you want some if you want actually to have like a 
a chat chat. That's that's probably the best place on Slack and Bloodhound Gang. Yeah, I've never heard of those groups. Uh, are those are those channels posted somewhere, like on your blog or something? Uh, not on my blog. I mean, I can um, find the URL or something. But I mean, it's um, it's it's basically Spectrops' channel. So I think um, like Andy Robbins tweets out the link occasionally. Oh. So if you wanted to find it from like um, Andy Robbins, who's uh, Waldo on Twitter, he definitely has the link somewhere. Or just ask me on Twitter and I'll give it to you or whatever. Hmm. Okay. But it's, I mean, it's quite, it's, quite, right. it's quite a community. It's quite a hive. Um, they must have several thousand members by now. And they have a lot of different channels covering a lot of different topics. So it's it's quite an interesting place just to be, depending depending on what you're interested in. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have many interactions with you know people from Inspector Ops just by happenstance. Um, so that's good to know kind of where those people lurk. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm on I'm on I'm on uh, Matamos as well anyway. And then that's at focus as well. So. Okay. Um, any plugs or anything, you know, that you would like to tell, I always give people a chance to, you know, plug their things. You know, this is a platform for, you know, people in the community to speak and share and, you know, promote, uh, their ideas and other people and stuff. Are there any, you know, um, people's work that you want to plug? Um, any, um, I don't know, products, keyboards, I don't know. Keyboards. Well, I have a, I have a Corsair (laughs) RGB rapid fire. (laughs) Okay, Corsair crew. It's a mechanical keyboard. It's very nice. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how many times have we said red team ups. Maybe we could say red team ups one more time. Um, <laughs> and just prior to coming on to uh, coming on to talk to you, if if anyone's interested in, in uh, anything to do with C sharp, and they want to learn how to C sharp the correct way, which is not my way, is to check out the um, CLR interpreter work that OJ Reeves is doing at the moment. So um, for people who are familiar with uh, Meterpreter, he is basically writing a .NET version of Meterpreter. He's actually from the ground up. And if you want to learn how to C-sharp properly, then go and check OJ out on Twitch or on YouTube. He's doing some really good work. All right. Well, thank you, um, man, for coming on. Um, you know, I always like to you know continue to extend the invitation um you know going forward you know if you ever come out with uh um was it red team ops too yeah. you know and you want to talk about it please you know come back to cold cast we'd love to have you i will do i've had a, you know. I've, uh, I've had a blast i've enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would which yeah, is not to, yeah, which is not I to say which is definitely not to say I was, <laughs> I was really not looking forward to it but i was dreading it slightly but you're a very nice chap you're a very nice chap and i've had way more fun than i thought i would so thank you. Hey, <laughs> I need to edit some uh, some uh, kids clapping and cheering there, uh, like in like in Halo, Halo Two, uh, whatever. Um, I, and I do want to ask you before you get off. Do you know? Do you do you ever work with Ipsec or whatever? I actually wanted to get him on too. Um, but do you ever have any interaction with him ever? Um, only very occasionally. I mean, I think he's one of the. He, does some stuff for Hack the Box, doesn't he? So I had uh, some some conversations in him with passing, but um, nothing really significant. 
But I mean, from from the engagement I've had with him, he's a really nice guy. Okay. Have you ever seen him? What, in real life? No. I don't know. It seems like a very elusive, kind of like uh, Got Milk, very elusive (laughs) uh, behind the scenes. But anyways, man, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a blast. I mean, it's awesome being able to meet, what one, the Rasta Mouse, you know. Um, I, I can already hear my buddy Wraith, you know, screaming um, if it, about if this. It wasn't, and, um, if it wasn't trademarked or copyrighted or whatever, it would be really awesome if we could play the theme tune right now. I don't think we can. <laughs> what, the Rasta Mouse? Yeah. <laughs> opening credits.